It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Not quite Guy Benson. The slightly older, you could say more handsome version of, of Guy. It's Joe Concha, everybody. Fox News contributor and a media and politics columnist for The Hill, filling in for Guy, who is celebrating, we'll put it that way, uh, on this fine Tuesday after Labor Day. Damn! Did summer go by fast? Unbelievable. And before we get into so many things involving Afghanistan and the border and Kamala Harris going to not the border or not taking any questions in Afghanistan, but going to campaign for Gavin Newsom because, hey, the vice president has her priorities – I did want to talk about it. the fact that we're, we're screwed as far as Labor Day is concerned, because this was basically a holiday that was invented out of thin air. A couple of guys sitting around a room saying, hey, why don't we make it the, I don't know, first Monday in September. And then you go outside, particularly in the East Coast on a day like this, or even if you're down south, it doesn't exactly feel like fall, does it? Right? It's 80 degrees. It's sunny. So I propose, and basically why Labor Day came about is because you had President Grover Cleveland. He's in trouble in terms of his reelection. So he's like, hey, let me throw him a bone. You know, the uh, the, uh, the unions, the laborers, so to speak, and we'll give him a holiday. We'll give him a day off. Everybody gets a day off. And we'll make it the, uh, I don't know, first Monday in, in September. When if we just thought this through, we should have made it the third Monday in September when summer actually ends on the calendar. And this way, we'd still have three more weeks left of summer. And trust me, September, for many of us, I think you're in agreement with me. It is the nicest month of the year in terms of weather. It's almost always dry. It's it's pretty much, you know, hey, all right, you get your occasional hurricane. I, I get that. But you know, those are anomalies, right? But I'm talking about just in general, sunny, dry, not too hot, not too cool, nice nights. And instead, we got to give it all up because Grover Cleveland had to have it on the first day of the, the first Monday of September. It, personally, what I would do if I'm running the country, right, I would say, all right, None of this Memorial Day stuff anymore. You know, the, the 20s in May, we have that. The weather is, like, always very hit or miss. At that point, the ocean is still too cold to swim in. What we do is we move back Memorial Day to, like, mid-June, and then we make Labor Day mid-ish September. That makes more sense from a weather perspective. All right, I got that out of my system. Thank you. I complain about this every year, but it's true. It's so true. What else is true is we have a situation in Afghanistan where there are still Americans left behind. And you probably heard me on Fox talk about this, but it bears repeating. I don't have to be a military expert. I never even won at risk. Like growing up, I played that game a lot. Always had Siam and Kamachakta, right? Ukraine was, was big in risk, but I, I, never, I never was able to close the deal. So I'm not a military analyst, but still, I am a logical person, I think, and try to look at things through a common sense perspective. And why, in God's name, would we not use Bagram Air Base for the evacuations instead of Kabul International Airport? It's like going to LAX or, or Newark Airport, JFK here in the New York, New Jersey area, and saying, okay, we're, we're going to go out of here instead. And then instead of our military running the evacuations, we're depending on the friggin' Taliban, an enemy, to, to help us do it. And what happens 13 U.S. service 
members uh, get blown up. They, they, they get killed. And we still have something like and This is according to Tony Blinken, the, the Secretary of State. A hundred Americans left in Afghanistan. The number is undoubtedly higher. But why we wouldn't use Bagram, for starters, right? That would kind of make sense. And then why wouldn't we get out all Americans before we pull our military? And why wouldn't we wait until the winter when the Taliban, they're like, it's like Major League Baseball. They have a fighting season. And then during the winter, they, they say, yeah, you know what, we're done. We're going to go back to our bases in Pakistan and, and reload for the next fighting season. Who takes off, honestly? Who has a season when you're, when you're, when you're the Taliban? They do. If, we do. if we did those three things, this thing would have gone infinitely more smooth. And a lot of people wanted us out of Afghanistan. I am in the minority, apparently, where I think we should have done what we did in Germany and what we're doing in Germany, I should say, and what we do in Korea in terms of between North and South Korea at the 38th parallel, which is we keep a force there, right? A completely secured force at Bagram. We're not on any offensive sort of missions, but we're there to make sure that nothing gets out of control. There's no power vacuum that the Afghan government can still continue to operate because we didn't have a one U.S. death militarily since February of 2020. And then you say, well, that's because of a deal that was made. If you look at the, the death toll in Afghanistan total, almost all of our military deaths happened between 2001 and 2015. And then after that, it, it almost came to a, a complete halt. So I think we could have stayed there and, and experienced very, very few casualties. Because then you think of what the alternative is, which is what we're seeing now. And that is where you have a situation where Al-Qaeda and ISIS-K and the Taliban and bad actors from Iran and you name it, they now have a playground, an entire country to do the next 9-11 2.0, except maybe infinitely worse. And now we don't even have any Afghans on the ground. They're probably willing to help us because they saw what we did to them. So no intelligence, no military presence. And ultimately, if there's even one attack on the U.S. that originated out of Afghanistan, I think it's already over for this president, but that would be... In other words, an impeachable offense, and maybe even some Democrats would go along with that, believe it or not, because that, that, that's, that's how bad it is. So I would have been for a force there, but, you know, again, people wanted us to end the, uh, the forever war. But, again, I don't think we were really at war. We were, we were maintaining peace, and there is a difference, certainly. But anyway, so we have now these evacuations going on, and the State Department is really just tooting their own horn here on this as far as taking credit for it. And, and you look at this, and you say, no, wait a minute. Who is doing these evacuations? Is it the State Department or is it other people that work with the U.S., work for the U.S. and take care of this? Well, you, you got to hear this because this was earlier on Fox. And basically, uh, you, you have some folks saying that the State Department is lying through their teeth. Let's play that cut, guys, if you have it. Go. Uh, we are going to go with cut. Da, 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 da. Let's see. So many cuts. So little time. So let me see if I can find that. Let's see. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Boy, you guys gave me a lot of cuts. I'm very, very proud of you, by the way. Excellent job putting together the show. And bad job me not having the cut number in front of me. Oh, man. Lying through their teeth. Oh, well. Uh, Corey Mills, right? Let's go with ba, 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 ba. cut number 11. Thank you. Go. There. First off, the Taliban did interfere. I have multiple conversations recorded where the Taliban says on certain occasions, especially the commander who is there, who's on Malawi, and in that he says, we have no agreement, we have no coordination with the Americans to allow you to pass. And, you know, there's a whole string of things that he was basically noting as far as you guys requested these borders to be locked down, why should we reopen them? 
we had to go through a lot of kind of shell game trickery, utilizing multiple phones, getting different Malawis to contact one another. And that was how we eventually tricked them into allowing us clearance to get this family across. You hear that, right? And that's, that's Corey Mills. Who was saying that? Yeah, now the State Department may be trying to take credit for this, but it is absolutely not the case. And you don't see a lot of pushback coming from the State Department at this point, as far as that's concerned. So, look again. You look at President Biden right now, and you look at four fronts that he is battling. It's not just Afghanistan. I know that his, his poll numbers have sank to incredibly low levels. I mean, USA Today, Suffolk, he's at 41%. Rasmussen, he's at 41%. When you consider that he was in the low to mid-50s just earlier this summer, I mean, that is a drop like we have never seen. And and it's got to tell you something that, you know what, uh, Americans basically elected Joe Biden because he wasn't Bernie Sanders during the primaries, and he wasn't Donald Trump in the general election, but they weren't voting for Joe Biden, of course. How does he inspire any confidence in anything at this point when he is like, uh, let's say I have my fantasy football draft tonight, Saquon Barkley, let's just pick a running back, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, he runs off the stage when he's done making remarks or a speech before he takes any questions, and believe me, China... Uh, Iran, Russia, you don't think they notice that the American president is running from a mostly friendly press when it's time to be held accountable for, for these actions? When they see the vice president of the United States? I mean, you could find Jimmy friggin' Hoffa before you could find Kamala Harris these days. We'll see her later this week, of course. She'll be on the campaign trail, right, trying to cackle Gavin Newsom, his way to victory, basically. But that's it. I mean, you're going to campaign for somebody, but you're not going to go to the southern border? You're not going to talk about Afghanistan, not do one interview. The last interview I could find her doing with anybody of any significance in media was Lester Holt. You know what that was? Two months ago today. Unbelievable. Here you have an historic vice president who's going to change the face of politics in Washington, D.C. And Joe Biden, since he'll be in his 80s, when it's time to run for president again, he'll hand off the baton to Kamala, and she will be the female next coming of Barack Obama, basically. And now you look at her poll numbers. Oh, my goodness. She's at 35% in that USA Today poll. 35% approval. And she's been there in less time than it has to deliver a baby to term, right? Three trimesters, eight months, and this is where she's at. And you think it's going to turn around somehow? It won't. So I talked about the four fronts. It is Afghanistan, yeah, but the border as well. We forget about the border. Afghanistan obliterated the news cycle, as it should have. But we now have, what, 1.5 million people have entered this country since the beginning of the year? That's more than 12 U.S. states, the population of. Think about that. Think how that that, that could change the, the dynamics, the demographics in Texas, Arizona, Florida. States that are teetering. Arizona obviously went blue in the last election by about 10,000 votes. Florida's always close. Texas is getting closer. This will only make it closer if somehow these people become voters. So think about that for a moment if, you, if you're looking at motive. Because Joe Biden, why would you put, of all people, Kamala Harris in charge of the border when she compared ICE to the KKK and said that illegal border crossing should be made legal. So, yeah, that's exactly the person you want solving this problem. And now, again, outside of campaigning for Gavin Newsom, you don't see her anywhere. So Afghanistan and border, those are two of the four fronts. The third front, inflation. 86% of people, Fox News poll, are deeply concerned about inflation, as they should. And, again, this hits 
the poor and the middle class more than it will hit the rich because the rich can absorb maybe spending a little bit more at the grocery store, spending more for gas, spending more for any items basically that you buy. It's a tax on everything. But the poor in, in the middle class, you know, they don't have that, that kind of money to, to absorb this extra cost. Maybe they have to change the way they shop, the way they go about buying food, quantities of food, things like that, things that feel real. Right. And the person in charge, that's the person who, who gets the blame for the economy and gets the credit for it when it's going well, even if they don't have a lot to do with it. But in this case, this president has a lot to do with it, because if you want to spend three point five trillion dollars, three point five trillion infrastructure, they call it a billion is about I'm sorry, one trillion of it is the roads and the bridges and the power grids and so on. But then the other two point five trillion, it's it's basically just gifts for for blue cities that are now drowning in debt. That's all. So when you add $3.5 trillion in spending and you're already spending more than you have, I'm pretty sure that devalues the dollar and that's what in- creates inflation. Again, I'm not an economist, but I did take Econ 101 and I'm pretty sure when you print a lot of money, it makes the money worth less. So that's three. All right. We got Afghanistan. We got border. We got inflation. Then on the fourth front, crime in American cities. All last summer, Joe Biden, while running for president, Kamala Harris, not once bought up the fact that police are under siege, that gangs are taking over cities. And you see just over this past weekend, dozens upon dozens of shootings, shooting victims from Chicago to Atlanta to New York. It just keeps happening. It just keeps getting worse because the good police officers, the ones that have been portrayed in the media as the bad guys, they are resigning and they are retiring. And it's, it's hard to, to backfill now because who wants to take this position that's more dangerous, right? infinitely more dangerous and where you're portrayed no longer as a guy that oh you want to you teach your son hey grow up and be a police officer too oh, those are the bad guys and here's why and the president of the united states all last summer couldn't bring himself not even once to bring up the fact that police are under siege and that american cities are under siege during all these riots uh, that were dubbed as mostly peaceful protests and now he's being blamed for that as well the president only polling in the 30s when it comes to handling crime so You have now a country that is more expensive to live in, that is less safe to live in, whether we're talking about crime in American cities that obviously extends out to suburbs there as well, right? It just doesn't stay there. And also, obviously, we're more susceptible to a terror attack than we ever have been, thanks to Afghanistan. So more expensive and less safe, that's not good. Those two things, that is not good at all. And you have a border that's not secure. And you have a president that when people watch him, the sober ones anyway, the objective ones, right, the ones that hate Trump and will vote Democrat no matter what, all right, they, they're, they're long gone. You're, you're not going to change their mind. And, and call that maybe the 35% of voters that, that are out there. You will never, ever get them to switch. But for the independents, the ones in the middle, the ones that decide elections in Arizona and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Florida and Georgia – Guess where the president's polling there? And again, these polls are skewed decidedly Democratic. Seven, eight points in terms of percentage points. Democrats are asked the questions more than Republicans and independents are. So just keep that in mind. 32%. That is the president's approval among independents at this point. You tell me how he turns this around. Because unlike Barack Obama, who could do a good speech, right, and seem to be completely coherent, you don't get that feeling about Joe Biden. So this is only going to get worse before it gets better, if it gets better. Joe Concha filling in for Guy Benson. The Guy Benson Show, back with Kelly McEnany shortly. Stick around. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. 
Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. They can't survive this. They can't take this beating every month. First of all, they're going to reinstate your Maine and Mexico program, at least they're supposed to, because they were ordered by the courts to do it. And what's the first thing they do? They appeal the decision because they want to continue doing what they're doing. But I'm convinced there's people in the White House who are saying, look, this is bad. This isn't working. We're going to lose the midterms and probably the White House if we don't change policies and, and control the border. And the problem there, and that's Tom Homan, by the way, obviously the, the former ICE director, is let's say then the Biden administration goes ahead with any sort of version of remain in Mexico policy, right? And they're, they're looking at something that, that – at least in Politico, uh, some of the White House are dubbing remain in Mexico light. Well, remain in Mexico light. You, the old saying is you can't kind of get a girl pregnant and you can't kind of do the remain in Mexico policy. It's something like that, I believe, is, is the way the saying goes. Uh, and what it would do is require a small number of asylum seekers to wait in Mexico for their cases to be processed, but give them better living conditions and access to attorneys, according to three people familiar with the discussions. Boy, if we could only treat our own people that way. Have they been to San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago lately? Because I, I'm pretty sure that while we're giving better living conditions and access to attorneys to uh, illegal migrants. Uh, there are people here, particularly veterans, that, that that are suffering greatly. But hey, you know, no one seems to to care in this administration. But 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 my point is that let's say they do anything that resembles a Trump policy, they being the Biden administration. What do you think AOC and Omar and the Squad are going to think about that? There will be a progressive, complete and total apocalyptic revolt. Right from that side. And that's the people that Biden needs because he's already lost independence like we just talked about. And then if he loses the left flank, then there's not much of a, of a base left as far as Biden is concerned. If he does what Tom Holman was, was just talking about, which is nothing, which is basically what they've done till now, and the problem continues to get worse, then American voters and particularly those, again, independents uh, or even Republicans that somehow voted for Biden, uh, they're going to be like, what, what are you doing here, man? I mean, you know, we have a wide open border. And, and just like Afghanistan, if one terrorist comes through the border and attacks us in any way, shape or form and we learn that that's how he or she got in again it's it's curtains for this administration which already the curtain is is closing in a, in a very big way because I, I keep bringing up polls but they're just remarkably low i mean for a new president right that the guy who just had the honeymoon stage basically uh, joe biden abc news washington post on immigration the border is polling at 33 percent when you're 30 anything that's that's not good and and that's where he stands at this point because again i i can't believe that he put kamala harris in charge of this the only thing i could think of was to make her look bad because this problem is not getting solved anytime soon particularly with these people in charge of it joe concha in for guy out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Hey, Benson, back with Kaylee McEnany on the other side of the hour in just a moment. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to the untold story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. That's like 90s music, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here. 93, 92. You know you're old. 90, that is? Yeah, it is, right? That, that's college music for me. Oh, my goodness. Is that 30 years ago? Oh, man. I just aged myself. I'm wearing an Expos jersey right now, and I'm in shorts. I try to stay young by dressing like an 18-year-old. It's working out. Let's talk to Kaylee McEnany, by the way. She is the former White House press secretary, of course, and now the co-host of Outnumbered on Fox News, a show that I am now officially appearing on. I just got the email on September 20th, so I'll look forward to be the uh, the outnumbered one, the, the one lucky guy, as it were. And by the way, pre-order Kaylee's book. It's called For Such a Time as This, My Faith Journey Through the White House and beyond all right so hardcover is coming out on december 7th kelly when do you have time to write a book i mean you, you got the kid you got the the the, the, the hot husband you, you're doing outnumbered you're doing a i see on every other minute on the shows uh, doing the contributor thing like me uh, incredible that you had time to write a book yeah you know i had to make time um it was it was not easy but you know a few weekends at your computer just totally and completely zoned in with a great husband who looked after blake and my mom as well uh that that'll help you get it done Good job. So let's talk about, I I love talking media with you because you were, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, being a White House press secretary is the hardest white collar job in the world. And and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Just to be, there is no mailing it in on a particular day, particularly when you have a hostile press corps, uh, as Kaylee had to deal with. But what we see here now in the Biden era, it's just remarkable how many mistakes happen, except I don't believe they're mistakes because they all seem to go in one direction, don't they, in terms of pushing a narrative. And then there's never accountability. There's never corrections. There's never apologies. And I'm talking about now in this case, Exhibit A is the Rolling Stone Invermectin article. And that's basically talking about how there were, I don't know, rural hospitals in Oklahoma that were flooded with people ODing on this drug that primarily is used with horses, I guess, and that, you know, they couldn't treat other patients who had gunshot wounds. Well, it turns out that it was completely and totally made up because the doctor who said this was happening wasn't even working at the hospital. And all it takes is, I don't know, one phone call to the hospital to say, hey, this guy says this is happening here. Can you confirm that he works there? No one could bother to do that. The story goes viral because people like Rachel Maddow share it. And the the story now is still up. The tweets are still up. Nobody has been suspended, reprimanded. And the thing here is, Kelly, Twitter hasn't labeled these as dis or misinformation as they would for a conservative in a heartbeat. Yeah, they would do it in a heartbeat. Of course, there's going to be zero accountability, no firing, no fact checks, no Twitter flags, uh, and not even a retraction. You have Rolling Stone who just issued an update. The story was a total and complete lie. That doesn't ma- merit a, quote, update. That merits a full-blown retraction. Um, yeah. it, it merits Twitter flags, but that's not going to happen because, as Drew Holden put it, and I think he said it best, this is the type of acceptable political lie because it runs in the direction of the left-wing narrative. You wanting to act as if in these places in the South, people are resorting to this COVID treatment and overdosing, and um, when, in fact, that just simply was not the case. The Associated Press as well saying that 70% of calls into a um, Mississippi poison control line uh, were because of these overdoses, when in fact it was only 2%, just two. But according to Brian Stelter, 
uh, his retweets. It's, the problem is not a bias of the press. The problem is uh, emptied out newsrooms, I think, is, is how he phrased it. So it's amazing, uh, but people see straight right through this. Yeah, if, if there's only just one more copy editor, then the Associated Press wouldn't have gotten it off <laughs> wrong by 68 points in terms of a percentage that goes in there. It's, it, it, I, I was a reporter for The Hill. I'm on the opinion side now, but but the buck stops with you ultimately. You have to do your homework. And again, it's it's a matter of being first instead of being right in these situations. And you're right, that Associated Press story is utterly incredible, as is the one, I don't know if you caught the one by Peter Baker, Kelly, and that, he's from the New York Times, of course, and he talked to about how Joe Biden, the Biden doctrine, is now about not nation building and bringing our allies uh, together on a united front. I don't know if uh, Peter saw the UK and their parliament literally holding Biden in contempt or the incoming German chancellor who said that it was the worst foreign policy decision and execution he'd ever seen in terms of Afghanistan. But I'm pretty sure our allies aren't exactly banding together and backing behind the leader of the free world, if you even could call him this at this point, Joe Biden. No, that's someone who's totally carrying water for the administration, Peter Baker. We know he's a leftist. Um, but Peter Baker, you know, he's basically just repeating Biden talking points because Biden, in one of the many lies to us on Afghanistan, said that no allies were criticizing his decision making. And in fact, it was the exact opposite, he said. We know that's not true. You just cited the evidence from the parliament and um, from the German chancellor. There are many other examples. Uh, we're not being praised by our allies, but leave it to the New York Times to pick up a Democrat talking point, probably one circulated by the Democrat National Committee, uh, and then turn it into a New York Times article and say that he's discovered the Biden doctrine, which is essentially DNC talking points, suggesting somehow this was a success. Um, it's, it's pathetic. It's beneath um, the work of a real journalist. And I don't believe Peter Baker. I don't believe many of the journalists at the New York Times are, in fact, quote, journalists. I'm sure Jen Psaki called 1-800-Flowers and then sent something very nice to, to Peter Baker's way because, yeah, as you said, and this wasn't even an opinion piece. An opinion piece, I'm not even going to bring it up. Okay, that's your opinion. But in this case, this was reported as in a straight news story on page one where people sitting at home or reading this think that, oh, okay, this this is a report that I'm reading. It's not an opinion, but obviously it is. And we're talking to Kelly McEnany, uh, co-host of Outnumbered. I want to know where you come down on the Texas abortion law that seems to be uh, getting so much attention uh, as far as now, I would imagine, since you're a White House press secretary for a Republican president, that you're pro-life. But it just seems in terms of the coverage that, gee, a side is being taken here again. And no one really ever talks about the fact that we have so many abortions in this country and no one talks about the rights of unborn babies. It seems, again, that the press is in line with Democratic talking points as far as this Texas abortion law instead of presenting both sides, which if you look at Gallup, pro-life and pro-choice, it's, it's, it's an even split in terms of the way people uh, identify themselves on that issue in this country, yet you would think that it's 90-10 as far as pro-life to, to pro-choice when it's actually about 50-50. Exactly. And when you look back to Roe v. Wade, it was one of the most wrongly reasoned decisions that probably in all Supreme Court jurisprudence, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg criticized the way that, was, that opinion was reasoned. Even Lawrence Tribe, a far leftist at Harvard, they essentially invented a right out of thin air, the right for a woman to have an abortion, and said it was embedded in the 14th Amendment. Uh, no such thing exists. Ironically, though, the Constitution does say protecting life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, life being central here, um, of course. And 
you know, you're right. You've got to focus on the lives of the unborn. 62 million babies have been slaughtered in this country since the passage of Roe. 62 million. Wow. Uh, that's an enormous amount. You know, almost one in five of the current United States population. So it's, it's um, an enormous decision. It's one that was wrongly decided. And it's one that I hope will be revisited. And I hope this Texas um, suit and, and another one that they're considering that's on the docket, I believe it comes out of Mississippi. Um, I, I hope uh, that, that this gets turned around. It's been way too long, too many decades, too much loss of life. Yeah. Okay. Kelly, let, let me tell you, I, I have a friend uh, and we both have, have young kids and she's 43, 44 years old and uh, went through a divorce, uh, never had kids with her uh, now ex-husband. And now she's at an age where she, she's worried that if she does even some sort of uh, in vitro or, or just if she's pregnant, she, she's afraid of autism or she's afraid that she's too old to have the baby. So she's looking into adoption options and there's almost nothing available. She, she told us recently. Yeah. It's like, it's like you know, you almost have to go to China or Russia to get to get a baby, which I'm pretty sure you don't want to do because there, there could be you know perhaps unforeseen health problems. You just maybe don't trust it. You want to adopt an American baby, but I I don't hear people talk about that enough. That we should be encouraging adoptions more to carry these babies to term. Maybe if you need a little financial aid to do it, if that's your decision, then then that that's great, and maybe something could be created. But we just don't talk about adoptions enough, do we? No, we don't. Um, I volunteered in the foster care system. Um, when I was younger, and I've seen oh, wow. firsthand the plight that these children go through. Um, one little boy saying that he wanted to be eaten by an alligator because he didn't have to. He didn't want to live anymore. He was about five years old. Um, unfortunately, wow. the way the system works is the parent gets so many options. I, it's, a, it's a lot of times it's a three strike you're out kind of rule. By that time, the child is. Um, aged out or essentially is an older age, so much harder to get adopted. Then they age out of the system at the age of 18, and all sorts of um, hardship awaits. We know the suicide rates yeah. are up. Um, you know, they, they call it the prison to the orphan to prison pipeline, um, run-ins run with the law, and how could you hardly blame some of these kids with the kind of upbringing that they're raised in? We should talk about adoption. We should reform the system. Uh, we should make it easier to adopt because that, to me, is one of the big tragedies in our country, that kids languish away in a system where they have no hope in life. Um, and there are plenty of people out there, like you said, who want this opportunity should it arise. And we should be able to facilitate that and make it, make it easier to happen. Indeed. And we're talking to Kelly McEnany. Uh, Kelly, I, I look at the president, and I talked about this earlier, and I don't see really one thing that's that's going well. And the thing is, with Barack Obama, at least you knew that he had all his faculties about him, and the guy could do a good speech. So even though from a performance, from a results perspective, you look at the Obama presidency, and you don't really see too many uh, major accomplishments at all. If you want to say Obamacare was, I guess, if you think that Obamacare is a good idea. But overall, on every front economy, foreign policy, crime, border security, he is failing and failing miserably. And I just don't see how he turns this around. And I wonder if he runs in 2024 or because Kamala is such a horrible option because she's polling at something like 35% in the USA poll I just saw. I don't know what the Democratic Party does at this point because, well, I guess Andrew Cuomo was the guy who maybe could save the day and that's not happening. And with Gavin Newsom, I mean, that party is in serious, serious trouble right now. I don't see who the emerging star could be like we saw with a Barack Obama back in 2004. I don't know who that is. Yeah, they don't have a deep bench. So if you look over to the Republican Party, of course, we have President Trump. Should he decide to pursue that? I mean, Ron DeSantis, Christy Nome, the list is endless. Tim Scott. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, the, the young blood we have in our party, the promising future. But you're exactly right. You look over to the Democrats and it's almost laughable now that Joe Biden 
reportedly met with a historian early on in his presidency to talk about how he could become the next FDR. Uh, well, we're very far from that, Joe. I, I know you like to spend like FDR, but uh, the inflation, the crime, you name it. You know, if you look at the economy, he's underwater there, only 39 percent approval, the 26 percent approval on Afghanistan, a 43 percent approval overall. And then Kamala, least popular vice president in, in the last uh, half century. And then who else? I mean, what? You've got Liz Warren and Bernie Sanders. We're going to go back to those two. They, they're in deep, deep, deep trouble. And that's why Doug Schoen wrote a great piece in The Hill on this and Carly Cooperman, two Democrat strategists, about how if you look at the midterms right now, Republicans are leading Democrats on a generic ballot um, by about 12 percentage points in some of these key districts. So um, trouble in the waters for the Democrat Party all the way around. Yeah, and not too many seats have to be flipped, right? I mean, uh, Obama lost 63 in 2010. Yeah. Uh, your boss lost something about 40, 43, I think, in, in 2018. The party in power always loses, uh, you know, multiple seats, dozens of seats. If Republicans only have to turn five, that's the end of Nancy Pelosi in terms of her career. And then the Senate's already 50-50. You just basically have to push one the other way. And then uh, if Joe Biden can't get anything done now, when he has basically the Congress and the Senate and obviously the Oval Office, uh, what's going to happen uh, when they, they go through basically a red tsunami in, in 2022. I, I just don't see any upside. But the upside I do want to talk about is your book, which is For Such a Time as This, My Faith Journey Through the White House and Beyond. Why should people buy this book when they saw you every day and they, they think they know your story? But what, what are some things you think they'll learn that they may not know? Well, first, you know, it's, it's interesting to get a behind the scenes look at the most powerful building in the world during what I would argue is one of the most aberrational years in our country's history, COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, you know, I take the reader behind the scenes as we were making some of these key messaging decisions. Um, but more than that, I think it's an inspiring read um, for people who, who want to see how, you know, the hardest times in life, you know, I was scared to go to the podium, could barely walk out there the first time I was so nervous um, and how faith got me through. Um, prayer got me through and relying on Jesus Christ helped me during some of the, the toughest, toughest days. So it's a broader look at my time in the White House, broader look at my life and also my faith journey, because it's um, during the hardest times when God really showed up for me. And so I think people will walk away with a, a fun, inspiring read and also um, an understanding of you know, what it's like to be in the White House. Now, since we're both sports enthusiasts, obviously, we root for different teams, and, and, and you love the Lightning and, and, and the Bucks, obviously, and they, they play Dallas on Thursday night. Are you going to that game, by the way? Why do I think the answer is yes, or you have to work? I'm not. I, I wish. I wish. But unfortunately, I'm, I'm in studio, so we're here in New York. Right. Okay. So you, you have your priorities, obviously, uh, your career. But do I get an advanced copy signed by Kaylee McEnany since, you know, we, we interview each other from time to time and we, you know, by my, my wife is a Georgetown gal, uh, Hoya Sachs. Uh, does that then qualify me to save the 15, 20 bucks that, that it would for, for, for a book? Can that, can that happen? Of course, you'll get a signed copy, but you can tell your wife it's only because of her, Hoya Saxa. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's done. That's a beautiful campus, by the way. My only uh, problem with Georgetown, okay, because I went to Maryland, is the, the great movie St. Almost Fire with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore and, the, and basically the, the, the Brat Pack, as they were called. All the major campus scenes were filmed at Maryland because I guess it was too expensive to do it at Georgetown. So I'm like, get your own campus, all right? I mean, this is my school. Have you I ever seen the know movie? That. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like Rob Lowe walks out of the fraternity house. That was my fraternity house at Maryland. So I'm like, hey, wait a minute. That ain't Georgetown. What are you kidding me? But uh, just to make us feel old, that movie is now 37 years old. But hey, watch it still. It, it, it doesn't age too much. Anyway, Kaylee, unfortunately, we are out of time. But again, the book is for such a time as this My Fate Journey Through the White House and Beyond. You could pre order it now. It comes out December 7th. Kaylee, I'll see you on the couch or virtually, I guess, uh, on Outnumbered very soon. And thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joe. See you around the building.
Absolutely. Take care. All right. Back with more in just a moment, including the COVID-19 variant. Speaking of uh, fraternities, uh, the Mu is now detected in 49 states. Variant after variant. I thought the president was going to have this whole problem under control, particularly with the vaccines. That doesn't appear to be happening. Joe Conchin for Guy Benson. Stick around on Fox News Radio. A fresh take on the biggest stories of the day. It's Guy Benson. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. And welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for the great guy, Benson. On this Tuesday after Labor Day, gorgeous here in the Northeast. I mean, it's 80, sunny. The, the president actually was here touring the uh, storm damage. I was actually in Nantucket, of all places. Um, I, I'll, I'll make this story very short. But basically, a friend of the family who I don't really know too well, uh, who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like the one like truly like rich friend of the family that we have. He rents a house in Nantucket for $35,000 a week and couldn't use it now for the rest of the summer starting like, you know, in, in, in late August. So he reached out and said, hey, you look like you have a nice family. Why don't you go use the house? And I looked at this thing. The cabana is bigger than my actual house here in Jersey. I mean, this thing had a kitchen. It had a, a, basically a living room with a TV, shower, refrigerator. I mean, you name it. That was the cabana. This thing had seven bedrooms, and every bedroom had its own shower and its own bathroom. There was no going down the hall and sharing you know, a bathroom. And we had the whole freaking place to ourselves. This is incredible. And then you think, okay, free vacation. But then Nantucket, you go out there, forget it. I mean... My wife and I, I swear this happened. We each had a salad. The kids had the kids' meal, sliders, and uh, chicken fingers. We had one glass of wine. I basically, I said to my wife, she goes, I'll just take some sips of yours. Fine. After all that, we get the bill, $200. I'm like, how is this possible? I, and trust me, I worked in New York for a long time. And, and this is what we had to deal with. So while, you know, the, the place was free, when you spend everything else, uh, I think I may have to get that bartending job back again uh, at nights on weekends. And, well, hey, come in and visit me. Anyway, I do want to talk about the COVID-19 variant, the Moo, detected in 49 states. Fauci is saying, well, for now, it's, you know, something we shouldn't be concerned about, which is what he said about COVID-19 originally. So take that with a grain of salt. But it just seems like once Delta and you start to see the cases going down from that, now the moo comes, then what's going to come after this? And this is something that it feels like we're just going to have to live with moving forward. And you just hope the therapeutics are there and enough people get vaccinated and everything's A-OK. But it's not like COVID is going to go away. You know, COVID-19 will extend into COVID-29 for all we know. And that's a shame. Anyway, Joe Concha filling in for Guy Benson. We got Emily Campagno coming on the show. Many, many great guests. Please do stick around, including Shannon Breen. Back with more in a moment. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. Hello, everybody. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. I am a Fox News contributor and a media and politics columnist for The Hill. You've seen me on Fox probably, let's say, three times today. I'll be on Hannity later. 
And then, oh boy, do I got a day tomorrow. Fox and Friends first. I'm on every morning at 5.15 in the morning. Then I'm on Fox Business with Maria, uh, mornings with Maria for the full three hours. It's like you're a panelist, but you're part of the show for three hours. And that's fun. Uh, then let's see, Barney and Company at 10.50. And then uh, the Faulkner Focus at probably around 11.15. That's just the morning. So that's going to be fun. And I have my fantasy draft tonight. So that's uh, going to be interesting to be try to be drafting and doing a Hannity hit at the same time. But these are the real world problems that, that you have when you work in this business. I uh, want to talk about this a little bit later, but I'll just give a little what's called a tease now, uh, a Rutgers student, and I'm in New Jersey, and I have already vowed that my kids will not set foot on that campus in any way, shape, or form, because, well, hey, look, they're not very good at football, so that, that that's the starters right there, and I'd rather them go to, like, a southern school. Georgia, Florida, Texas, something like that, where I, I get, like, you know, a nice football team where I could go visit. I'm warm. I'm watching SEC football, whatever. Hey, that, 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 that's the dream right now. Education? Who cares about that? It's all about daddy. Now, this Rucker student says he's being stopped from taking virtual classes. Virtual, mind you. That means over the Zoom because he is not vaccinated. You heard that right. If you're driving, make sure you keep your eyes on the road and try not to drive off said road. I mean, this is like Biden when he wore a mask on a Zoom call with world leaders. It's, it's like, all right, virus does not mean computer virus you know those those are different viruses than the actual covid virus so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later and how we've just completely and totally lost all sanity i also want to go through a couple of media items here first before we get to uh rachel maddow the uh apparently she's going to be working once a week uh for 30 million dollars not bad once a week show msnbc is going to pay her that i don't remotely understand that but okay that, that that's fine look you could agree or disagree uh with rachel but nobody is worth 30 million dollars in this business and if you're going to make 30 million dollars you better be like gutfeldian right where you are hosting a show every night and afternoon with the five and you're doing a fox nation show and you're doing you know in other words like you you give a lot of value basically to the network uh working once a week and doing some things on the digital side for 30 million dollars hey god bless her i mean that's money that you you wouldn't be able to spend if you tried if you made 30 million dollars a year even though i'm sure some of you could uh chris saliza he is the editor at large at cnn and it's just unbelievable how self unaware people are in this business so in the span of, let's see, 24 hours, Saliza tweets out a headline from Politico that says, why we can't beat COVID. And there is a picture of the Sturgis bike rally, right, biker rally that, that occurred last month, right? So basically it's saying, because of these uh, uneducated, unsophisticated hicks, we're never going to beat COVID because these people are gathering in large gatherings like the Sturgis Biker Rally. No mention, of course, of Obama Fest on Martha's Vineyard, uh, which, you know, you can definitively make the case that there's a connection between the two, but a couple of days after that event, which was in an indoor tent with hundreds of people, maskless, uh, suddenly cases on the island, uh, quadrupled and more as far as that is concerned. And you have to wonder, wow, all those people came onto the island. They went to a party. They were massless. They were indoors. And then cases shot up. And it's not like it's a big island where there's like a lot of different events going on. So what else are you going to determine? But fine. That's never mentioned. Only Sturgis. But okay. So you got Saliza basically talking about the Sturgis Biker Rally and why we can't be COVID because all these people, you know, are gathering uh, outdoors in, in large uh, places, right? Large spaces. Now, he then... Just 24 hours later, 
Fox College Football, the official account, sends out a tweet with video saying jump around is back and it has never hit harder. And if you watch this, there's 100,000 people at the Wisconsin-Penn State game that was broadcast on Fox. And Saliza writes above that tweet, watched live, was awesome. So that's okay. All right, Wisconsin, maybe he went there, I don't know, but, but he loved the fact that there were 100,000 people in very, very close proximity in the stadium doing jump around and watching Wisconsin lose to Penn State. But Sturgis, that's bad. And it's just the picking and choosing, right? You remember the, you remember the protests last year, right, the mostly peaceful riots uh, that, that went on in American cities. And then we were told, even by lawmakers, that the – what was the saying again? Ah, yes, the cause is bigger than the virus. The cause is bigger than the virus. Therefore, the protests are okay until maybe there's some sort of event like a, a Trump rally or something that conservatives, uh, Cuban Americans, protesting in Miami, right, over uh, the president's policy there. That is not okay. And the picking and choosing, it just it becomes so obvious. But the fact that uh, Saliza, within 24 hours, cheers on the Wisconsin crowd but says that Sturgis is bad and doesn't realize that he's doing it. I mean, boy, are there just stupid people in this business? Is, is that how it works? Because there's no other way really to describe it at this point. Speaking of stupid, there is a story out from ABC that says jobless Americans have few options as benefits expire. So basically, unemployment benefits, which this should have happened months ago, because we have an unemployment rate right now in this country of 5.2%. That is lower than the historical average. When Anytime you're around 5% unemployment, that's pretty, pretty damn good, right? And so all the spending that we're doing as far as COVID is concerned, and we're, we're paying people not to work, to sit around their pajamas watching Captain Kangaroo and making more money than if they worked in a restaurant, right? Uh, bad idea, because I can tell you, at least here in Jersey, you know, I have several friends that own businesses that could not staff them. They begged. They put the biggest signs in their windows. They, they, they raised the amount that they're willing to pay, and they couldn't get anybody in. I know one guy who owns a restaurant who had to wait tables at that restaurant hard enough to run the business then you got to do that on top of it and then people wanted to get out obviously because they've been stuck in their houses for you know 12 18 months and then you go to a restaurant it's not a pleasant experience for the most part because it's get, it's taking like two hours to eat because you got one tape one poor waiter handling like 12 tables so you see this headline jobless americans have few options as benefits expire in other words poor them in the photo with the story there is a now hiring sign Oh, really? Few options? I see options everywhere. Overall, there are 10 million job openings in this country. Think about that. 10 million. Few options. There's never been better options if you want to work. That's unbelievable, man. And, and, and you see the president last week say the Biden plan is working. That's after the Labor Department announced, what was it, 200 and... 250,000 jobs were created when they expected 750,000 to be created. Hey, only off by a half million. And you have Biden, the Democrats, spending the last five months, as we just talked about, paying Americans more not to work. Now there's 10 million job offerings. Half of small businesses say they have jobs they can't fill. Isn't that unbelievable? 1.8 million out-of-work Americans have turned down jobs because these payments from the government were too high. And then some businesses were even forced to close. Or obviously, I've seen limit hours, too. You know, I mean, you go to a restaurant, and after, like, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, they're not sitting anybody down because, again, these waiters are stretched so thin, these hosts, these chefs, and so on. Uh, meanwhile, there are still 2.5 million more unemployed Americans than before the pandemic. So 
on top of that, wages are going down because of obviously we have rising prices and you are seeing spikes at, a, at the fastest pace in decades as far as inflation is concerned. And again, what's the president's plan? We don't know, right? Because we don't hear from him. He's doing a speech on Thursday. I could almost guarantee you, as sure as you were born, that when Joe Biden gives his remarks on Thursday, and it's going to be a six-point plan to address the Delta variant. I guess the Mu variant, that, that speech is going to be in a couple of weeks. But whatever. Whatever he's doing is certainly uh, not working to this point in his poll numbers, even on COVID, which was supposed to be his strong suit. Because, well, how could it not be? He was handed all these vaccines thanks to Operation Warp Speed. Uh, he's going to give the six-point plan to, to show how we're going to get back on track. And then he will run off that stage and not take any questions. You have a president that's pleading the fifth cowardly and weak. That's what it looks like when you have the President of the United States running from a mostly friendly press. Outside of Peter Ducey and Jackie Heinrich, you tell me who's asking the tough questions in that room. You'll get one here and there as an exception, but for the most part, not at all. So that's where we're at now at this point. But I do want to talk about the aforementioned uh, Rachel Maddow and and particularly this Rolling Stone story, because you want to talk about bias and broad daylight. This is Exhibit A. No question about it. And what we have here, all right, is a situation where one source, one doctor, says that there are people en masse overdosing on basically what is a horse drug because they think that it will beat COVID, that it's a COVID treatment, right? And it's a narrative, basically. Look at all these dumb people who are taking a drug that the FDA and the CDC are saying, please do not take, and boy, are they idiots, and if they just got vaccinated, then all of this wouldn't be happening. That's basically the narrative that's being pushed, right? Turns out the doctor did not work at that hospital that he was talking about for two months. So what does he know exactly? And you would think that they would pick up a phone and call the hospital. It would be like me. In other words, let's say I decided to call... I don't know, Rolling Stone magazine. They say, hey, guys, my name's uh, Joe Poncho. Right? Change it around a little bit. And I work for NASA. And I, with my telescope, just spotted a huge asteroid heading towards Earth. Remember Armageddon with Bruce Willis? Just like that. And it's going to hit here in three weeks. So I just wanted to give you a heads up, and, and, and thanks for taking my call. You would think then NASA, or I'm sorry, you would think then the Rolling Stone magazine uh, editors would, would turn around and say, eh, we better check this out. Let's call to make sure that Joe does work for NASA. <laughs> right? Because that, that's a pretty simple phone call. It takes about 15 seconds to make, right? It just call human resources. And nobody did that here as far as this story is concerned. Just let's pick up the phone and see if this doctor is, is really actually a doctor at this hospital. And he wasn't. And then I got to hear excuses. Well, you know, there aren't enough uh, uh, copy editors out there. Uh, and that's why these mistakes are happening from journalists. No, no, the mistakes are, are happening because they're not mistakes. They are intentional. There was an Axios poll that came out, I think it was about a year or two ago, and it found that 8 in 10 independents, I like to take the blue and the red teams off the field, right, because they're going to skew heavily in one way or another way. So I like to look at the middle and the people that decide elections. 8 in 10 independents say that media organizations report news they know to be fake, false, or misleading at least sometimes. In other words, all this is intentional, right? So you have this story out there, and who's pushing it but Rachel Maddow, who has millions of followers, and she helps this story go viral. Now, here's the thing. If this story is completely untrue, and it is because Rolling Stone has since given not a correction, not a retraction, but an update saying, ah, yeah, you know, that doctor actually doesn't work at the, at the hospital. So yeah, we may, they didn't say we may have got this wrong, but basically that, that, that's what they're saying, and it's true. Uh, oh, by the way, they use a picture. <laughs> 
outside this hospital in Oklahoma, right, in late August, early September, where the average high is like 90 degrees. And these people, they are in a uh, basically hats and gloves and heavy jackets. It looks like they're about to go to a friggin' Packers playoff game in January. Did anybody think maybe that's not the photo we should use here? Because that may look, they raise some eyebrows and people may be saying maybe the story isn't true. But why hasn't the misinformation police at Twitter flagged Rolling Stone in this case, that tweet, because it's pushing misinformation. So therefore, if this were a conservative, this would be labeled as misinformation, right? Those are the rules. That's the way we see it. Also, why hasn't Rolling Stone taken down the story? because if it's not true, you could provide an update, but if it's completely wrong, then why are you even allowing people to read it? And they may not even see the update that you have at the end of the story. So again, it's all about clicks and ratings and certainly not facts and honesty. And by the way, why hasn't Twitter flagged or suspended Rachel Maddow's Twitter account? Because I am certain that if this was somebody, I don't know, pick anybody at Fox, right? Let's say this is uh, the 9 o'clock host on Fox, Sean Hannity, and he was pushing a false story like this. I can guarantee you that he would be suspended, or at least the tweet would be called misinformation. And why hasn't Rachel deleted it? It takes about four seconds to do that. But no, she won't, because Twitter right now is hopelessly biased, as as we know, right? I mean, that that's that's painfully obvious. But Rachel Maddow has shown that she could push a narrative like Russia collusion with Trump for three years. And after the Mueller report comes out and every conspiracy theory that she's thrown out there is completely disproven, Right. What happens? Does she apologize? No. And then NBC turns around and gives her $30 million a year to work less. So she gets rewarded for lying. That's where we're at now as far as our media is concerned. As long as she's, hey, she's rating well, so let's pay her whatever she wants. She can say whatever she wants. We know it's not true, but hey, we're, we're not, we're not going to stop her. And here's the thing. Even when you do an update or a correction, the allegation gets 1,000 times the airplay, the attention, then the exoneration, then the correction. So it's out there and people believe this, and most people won't see the so-called update that, that we saw here. And then that's a shame now, isn't it? And again, the Associated Press made the same mistake, right? And I'm putting that in scare quotes. So you can't see it on the radio. When it reported that 70% of recent calls to a Mississippi poison control center were from folks who had ingested uh, <laughs> ivermectin in an attempt to treat COVID. Uh, no, actually, it's only 2% of the calls. They're only off by 68%. Unbelievable. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. Back with more, including the aforementioned evil Shannon Bream, her new nickname, which is really catching fire. <laughs> That's next. The Guy Benson Show. More next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, the Guy Benson Show. Are you seeing this story on a video game developer All right, for Tripwire Interactive? It replaced the CEO who voiced his support for the Texas abortion law. Again, we, we you know, with Afghanistan and, and the border and a lot of things we haven't talked about, cancel culture lately, but I mean, it's just unbelievable how there is no debate anymore that there's either right speech or wrong speech, and you, you can't just civilly say, I disagree with this and that's why, or else you get eliminated. I, I remember... 
Sacramento Kings announcer, and his name escapes me, and I apologize, former, I should say. Sacramento Kings, of course, uh, NBA team, right? And he was asked, do you support Black Lives Matter? And he only answered, no, I think that all lives matter, and basically went on to say that, you know, we shouldn't be viewing uh, human lives through a racial prism, that, that all lives matter. And after working for the Sacramento Kings as their play-by-play guy, as their play-by-play guy, announcer he got fired like no due process nothing i would have sued the kings for all they're worth i said wait a minute that is my first amendment right and you tell me what's offensive about what i just said all right if we're talking about it because when you work in broadcasting you, a lot of people have what's called a morality clause which is basically you have to represent uh whatever network or, or whatever channel uh whatever organization uh that you are working for uh, in an exemplary way right basically just don't say things that are completely bat you know what crazy and you know, it, 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 there's a lot of different ways you can interpret it, but that guy lost his job, just gone, just like that. There was a, the editor of a Teen Vogue, or she was supposed to be, right? 28-year-old girl, she gets this dream job offer, and then someone goes back and finds some tweets that she uh, wrote when she was not didn't even have a driver's license, right? When she was 16 years old. And she had since acknowledged the tweets that she had learned from them, that they were insensitive, and that she has grown as a person, and she apologized for it. And then, nope, it, those tweets had to be unearthed anyway, and, and she was tried in the court of public opinion that is Twitter, which is not the real world, and she never got the job. And I don't even know if she's working right now. So now this is what we're seeing here with Tripwire as well, and this particular comments by the gentleman's name is John Gibson. Just saying, yeah, I support the law. All right, you're gone. See you later. We'll talk more about this more. On the other side of the break, the great Shannon Bream. Please do stick around. It is Joe Concha in for Guy Benson on the Guy Benson Show. And that is on Fox News Talk. And thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Back with more in a moment. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Well, to quote the great Jonathan Turley, who writes for the opinion section of The Hill, as I do, He says, quote, it appears Washington has another conspiracy to make this long, hot summer an enjoyable one. Sarcasm. Indeed, the conspiracy du jour, that means of the day, has all the favorite elements. A corrupted FBI, a powerful protected person, buried evidence of possible crimes. If you think this sounds like a Russia investigation redux, think again. No, instead, we now have Senator Sheldon Whitehouse again today calling for an investigation into Brett Kavanaugh. That's funny. I thought I saw that movie a couple of years ago, 2018. 
probably one of the reasons why you currently have Kamala Harris as your vice president, because obviously she was extremely tough on Kavanaugh, who eventually obviously got confirmed after allegations from, what, 35 years ago when he was, what, a junior in high school uh, from uh, one woman whose story could not be corroborated in any way, shape or form uh, about him forcing himself on her. And it nearly derailed him. I mean, for a while, things were, were looking pretty bad. And, and you look back on the performances of Lindsey Graham and then obviously uh, the, the senator of Maine as well, as far as Susan Collins is concerned and coming to his defense. But ultimately, it, it seemed like it was, uh, you know, an investigation in search of a crime as it pertained to Kavanaugh. And here we are again, Democrats calling for an investigation. I want to bring in Shannon Bream, who, you know, obviously, as the anchor of Fox News at night. But I'm old enough to remember uh, Shannon. This was a couple of years ago. So I guess we're talking uh, her mid 20s or so uh, when she actually covered the Supreme Court for Fox News before uh, getting to the uh, the high perch that she's in now. So, Shannon, first of all, uh, let, let me uh, welcome you to the program. Do I introduce you as evil Shannon Bream or just Shannon Bream? Well, what do you think? You know me personally. Do yes, you believe true. me or do you bring believe Greg Gutfeld? That's yeah, yeah. that's the existential question you must ask yourself. <laughs> and when you put it that way, uh, I guess you are are not evil, but it's it's a great uh, nickname to have, nonetheless. I, I know that he uh, calls Nicole Sapphire like she's <laughs> it's all in like, love. I'm sure. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, no. He, he has uh, some some nicknames for me as well, and that, that that's when you know that the, the person likes you. But exactly. Just, yeah. So I'm just curious, though, as far as. Do you think the American people honestly have an appetite for an investigation into Brett Kavanaugh, particularly when they see inflation out of control, crime in American cities out of control, a border that's anything but secure, and obviously the the situation in Afghanistan? It seems like Democrats are looking for a, perhaps a, a distraction, a shiny object, and, and Brett Kavanaugh, for you know whatever reason, really riles up their base. So is this what this is all about, theatrics, or is there something to this argument that the FBI should investigate Brett Kavanaugh again? Well, I mean, this is this is a drum that Senator Whitehouse has been beating for a long time. I mean, he put out a letter in June demanding that the FBI go and, and investigate the tips that came in, what went to the White House, did the White House not forward everything. So it seems like every time there's something that happens at the court that progressives don't like, they restart the argument. So I don't know that they ever really stopped it, but they, you know, they reignite it. They throw more gasoline on the fire and say, let's go do this thing. Um, you know, it's the same thing that we had the conversation again. They're back to packing the court. So anytime the court does something, that doesn't align with their principles, their goals, what they want to do, they start this conversation. We saw them just a few months ago out on the steps of the Supreme Court announcing that there were pieces of legislation in the Senate and the House to pack the court, to add seats. Um, So it's not surprising there have been a couple of decisions they didn't like from the court in the last several weeks, um, most recently the Texas abortion law decision. And so we're going to hear those same things again. I think it presents a little bit of a headache for the White House and for Democrats in general because they have so much to deal with. They want to get back to this domestic agenda. They want to pivot away from Afghanistan. But when the far left starts doing this stuff again, trotting out the allegations about Kavanaugh or talking about packing the court, it's another thing that they have to deal with. Um, you know, Speaker Pelosi has already said, we're not going to take this up. We're not doing it. So we'll see. That's pragmatic on, on her part. And we're, we're talking to Shannon Bream, not evil. Uh, as far as adding mm-hmm. seats, yeah, would that even be, let's say Pelosi was open to it because – 
obviously going into the midterms, things do not look good at all for, for Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly, uh, with only five seats that have to be flipped, uh, the House very easily can go to the GOP. When you consider the 63 seats were flipped under President Obama in 2010 and Donald Trump, I think it was 43 in 2018. So if you're a first-term president, the party in power generally loses dozens of seats. Mm-hmm. And to think that five only have to be turned, that that's when you know. And the, then the Senate's already 50-50. So one seat, one way, and then basically you have uh, McConnell again as the uh, Senate majority leader. So uh, is this something that if the Democrats said, okay, we, we, we don't really have any solutions on inflation and all the things I talked about in terms of crime in Afghanistan, so we need this distraction, adding seats, is that even possible at this point to, to get a vote passed? I think that if Speaker Pelosi is not going along with it, it goes nowhere. You know, she's going to control the House calendar, and so it will just go there to die if that's the case. I also think that Democrats like her who are pragmatic and are worried about seats and worried about the midterms don't want to go near this stuff. It doesn't poll well uh, with the American people, and it looks pretty radical to most people out there. They will trot out uh, the right will. Um, You know, quotes from Justice Ginsburg saying we should leave it alone. It should be nine. You know, then Senator, now President Biden saying, you should never mess with it. It's a boneheaded idea. I mean, they will trot all those things out if the left tries to do this. Um, certainly they want to have distractions, but I think they also make the calculation that they don't want the distractions to be too progressive or too aligned with the squad because I think they have to know um, that everybody, Republicans and Democrats alike, are after those middle-of-the-road suburban voters that they need to get without getting too far to the left or the right. I think the Democrats as a whole still judge this court packing or investigating Kavanaugh or trying to impeach Kavanaugh. They're going to view that as too far left for the average voter out there and we're talking with shannon bream she is the anchor of fox news at night what is it like to be hosting a show at midnight it's not like you you know pre-tape is is the saying in the business Mm -hmm. where you you get it done like at five o'clock and then hey all right then we we, we show it at midnight you're there every night and then you're probably getting home i don't know by the time uh, all said and done 1 32 a.m what's that adjustment been like for you you know what i am a night person so I'm the person. Like, this is, this is a great schedule for me. I remember when the show was first um, cooked up at 11 p.m., Dana Perino and I um, were chatting, and she was getting assigned to uh, an afternoon show. And she's like, oh, my goodness, Shannon, I could never, like, I would literally be fired. There's no way I could ever do that show. But she's really great in the morning. She's up at, like, you know, 435 o'clock, and I always tell her, like, Dana, I've done that schedule. You're much better at being the morning person than I am. So I'm awake. That's when everything's firing for me. Um, and because there's been so much overseas news, that's kept us really busy with Afghanistan and Israel when that was flaring up with the conflict with Palestinians. And so um, there's so much that happens overnight internationally. So we tend to stay pretty busy as a new show, and that keeps us awake. And the ratings are, are great. The other channels are, are in tape at that point. In other words, they don't have live programming. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that Fox is basically 24, you hear about 24-7 cable news, it we'll almost is that. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll get there. The one, the two, and the three. I'll take the 3 a.m. I have no problem with that. There we'll call you go. Blue okay, so I'm going to put you, now, would you just stay up all night, or would you be up and getting ready for the three? Because I would just I stay would, up at that point. Boy, I would, I would get, you know what, you could get some really good deals when you go to the early bird at, like, the fancy right. restaurants. So then I go to bed around 7 and wake up around, you know, 1, I guess, and uh, play fire. But I have a 5 and a 7-year-old, so that, that, I don't know if that would ultimately Ooh, that, that complicates things. Well. Yeah, when I, back in the day when I was working in one of my local news stations, I would go home and sleep like 1 to 5. Then I'd get up in the evening so I could have dinner and see my husband or friends or anything else I wanted to do. And then I would go back to sleep from 10 to 1. And wow. I was never, I felt terrible for three years. It's like a constant hangover almost, right? Like or if you drive a stick shift, <laughs> you're in the, the wrong fun. gear. Yeah, minus the fun. 
exactly. So there you go. And and I want to talk to you about your book as well. And, and we're talking with Shannon Bream. The Women of the Bible Speak. Now, this was one of two books uh, where Fox basically got into the publishing business. Fox mm-hmm. News, along with Pete Hesketh. And your shot right up to number one. Were, were you surprised? I'm sure you were like, okay, I think this could do well. There's a big audience for it. But were you even surprised? Like, wow, this is really doing well. Yeah, it was. Because I think there, listen, last year, and still as we're going over into this year, just a really difficult time for people. I think they needed something hopeful. I think a lot of people were realigning with or seeking out faith for the first time. So I never in a million years would have would have thought that people connected with it so well. I mean, I prayed about it from the minute we started writing the book, that it would be a blessing and an encouragement to people that would encourage them in their faith. And it went way beyond anything we could have estimated. So I'm super grateful for that. And I learned so much in the process and just so much encouragement and, you know, God's promises and, and how he showed up in so many different situations that seemed impossible. And I think that was just a message people really needed and still need. That's interesting. We're, we're, we're talking with Shannon Bream. I, I wish I could say that I went to church every Sunday, but I'm, I'm, I'm more of a Christmas Easter type of guy. But I think that mm-hmm. this year I'm going to start doing that more as an example for my kids, right? Because then we go yeah. every Sunday. It's a nice little routine to get into. I don't have to watch every NFL preseason, you know, pre- pregame show. I'm sure I could <laughs> yeah. carve out an hour or they even have like yeah, the Saturday and I, I think about those, those memories with my parents growing up. And my grandmother used to come to church with us, too. And so just a lot of good memories um, from childhood, too. And certainly my parents wanted me there listening and not fidgeting in the pew, like letting it soak in, hopefully put me on the right path. So it was definitely a family tradition for us, too. What is the greatest religious movie of all time? Is, is it Passion of the Christ? Is it, I don't know, History of the World was funny with Mel Brooks, but I guess I can't do that in this particular <laughs> that's category. That's a different one. Oh, well, that's um, the greatest scene ever, where Moses comes down, it's Mel Brooks, is, is Moses, and uh, he says, I, I uh, hereby, uh, you know, give upon you these 20, and then the, the, the stone falls, 10, 10 commandments. 10, <laughs> like right. Um, I would not say that's the most biblically accurate yes. film. Um, I, I mean, certainly the passion, if you are a believer, is very, very impactful, very difficult to watch. And it was controversial, too, I mean, in so many ways when it came out. But if you are a Christian believer and, you know, go through the whole Easter experience and believe that Christ actually died and, and went through these horrible sufferings for you, it's hard to watch but also um, makes you feel like, Wow, is th- that God could send His own Son here to go through this to save me, a sinner? Um, it, it has a huge impact, and I mean, I know a lot of places still played in theaters on Easter, and um, I think it definitely is one for the history books. And we're talking with Shannon Bream, who also fills in on the five from time to time. That that's mm-hmm. got to be fun because you know anchoring is one thing, and, and you run interviews, and uh, obviously you're, you can't give too many of your opinions or perspectives, so to speak, and because it's a news show. But then the five is just five people sitting around a table like it's happy hour, and it's amazing that the, the rating success that we've seen from that show. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, that's two p.m. on the West Coast, and sometimes it's number one in all I of cable. Know. So what do you think that the, the actually the secret to their uh, successes, the, the secret sauce here that, that makes the show so appealing. You know what? They have lightning in a bottle with that show. They've got fantastic personalities. And then you have the, you know, the, the fill-ins, like me and others who jump in from time to time here and there. And it's just about the chemistry you get, I think, on the day. But you have people challenging each other. And I think it's very much like we think about sitting around in our offices or at the dinner table or with our kids or friends or neighbors or whatever, that you want to um, discuss the stories of the day. But there's always humor and one-liners and different perspectives. And so um, I think people feel like at home that 
that they are or sitting in their office or car or wherever they are, they're part of the conversation. So I think when people feel included and that they hear different viewpoints and, and probably theirs is represented in there somewhere, um, I think they just enjoy it. And listen, these guys are fun and they're smart. And um, it's just a really fun show to do. It's well-produced and I think just such a fantastic concept. You can't teach authenticity. That that that's uh, something that I've heard, and, and the people on there, that you know, that no one's put on an act. Like there's sometimes, and we know people in this business, they're one person on the air, but then there's somebody completely mm-hmm. different in real life, and you just get the feeling that when you're watching Dana or Gutfeld or Waters or if Dagan's on there or Kennedy or Geraldo, and when Juan used to be on mm-hmm. there, that that's actually who they are, and then that's something that, that you can't teach exactly. And and we're they're talking friends, to Shannon and Green. they're not they're not afraid to you just like you would with a true good friend, not afraid to challenge them and, and dust it up a little bit or, you know, take a little friendly jab at each other here and there. And I think they all take it in stride. So in this business, Shannon, uh, believe it or not, there's not just ratings for individual shows, but you could basically break it down in, I don't know, five, 10, 15 minute intervals. So you see Mm -hmm. what guests rate well, and you see what segments are rating well. From what I'm hearing, if you the minute that we've strayed from Afghanistan, that being Fox News, then suddenly viewership ticks down a little bit because that is the main interesting thing to people that they're mm-hmm. very passionate about. Are you still seeing that, or do you see interest in Afghanistan maybe waning uh, a bit now yeah, that I mean, the U.S. military is basically out? Yeah, I mean, it was so white hot for several days. It's still very, very at the top of the list. I think any time that you're going to talk about Americans being left behind and the government either denying it or not facilitating it, um, that is something our viewers are never going to be okay with. They also are heartbroken, as you know, millions of Americans are, about the loss of our service members. It's it, it, To many people felt um, that it didn't have to happen. So I think that there's anger. I think that there's, um, you know, sorrow. I think it's there are all those things going on and people still want to know who's left there how are we getting them out what are we doing um that and also um you know covid restrictions vaccine passports fights over education whether kids will be masked or not whether they're going to be learning crt or not i mean there are just common things that i think people are very engaged in a way that they weren't before on some topics and uh, we certainly see that and here, the Biden presidency was supposed to be the boring, uh, you know, drama-free presidency mm-hmm. after President Trump. And instead, as you can see, your rundown, you don't have enough room uh, to put everything on there, I'm sure, that you <laughs> do every night. I'll ask you one more question, and I'll give you the, uh, hey, we only have about 30 seconds, so you, you know what that means in terms of uh, a break coming up. Okay. Uh, Amy Klobuchar is calling mm-hmm. on Stephen Breyer to retire, quote, sooner rather than later, unquote. Mm-hmm. Does he retire soon? Or, I mean, it seems like he goes to the beat of his own drum. He does, and she's not the only one. As you know, there are a lot of voices on the left asking him to do that. It did not work well with Justice Ginsburg. You see what happened with that. Um, I tend to think that he wants to stick around and go on his own terms when he's good and ready. That's right. And now he did that in, let's see, 15 seconds. Thank you, Shannon. Did I leave you a couple? appreciate it. Yes, you gave (laughs) me time to tease, which is is very important, as you know. So, Shannon, I hope to see you. I think I'm on with you tomorrow night on Fox News at night. So that's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And uh, congratulations again on all your success. It's really great to see. Thanks, Joe. Okay. She's not evil, Shannon Bream. She's the underrated Shannon Bream. I called her that once a couple years ago. I stand by it. Back with more on The Guy Benson Show in just a moment. Energetic, informed, fast-paced. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right, it's one week from today. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, Guy Benson Show. With one week to go until ballots must be postmarked, 
deposited in drop boxes or handed in in person in California's gubernatorial recall election. Governor Gavin Newsom making his closing pitch to save his job and steering the nation's most populous state, California, of course, that is. I mean, this is just incredible that here you have such a deep blue state. I, I think Joe Biden won by something like 29 points over Donald Trump in California. So that just shows you how blue it is. And, and you look at almost every leader there is basically a Democrat. And boy, what a murderer's row. I feel like I'm looking at the 49 Yankees lineup. Uh, you got Newsom as your governor. You have uh, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, obviously representing California. You have the Vice President of the United States, his former senator from, from California, in, in Kamala Harris. Then you have uh, real uh, Cy Young Award winners such as uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell and a Alyssa Milano uh, as as your top uh, politicos in the state. Boy, what could go wrong? And, and the fact that, you know, Newsom is sweating this out. I think he'll survive. You know, I just think that the, the, the deck is just too stacked against Republicans there that even if many people think that Newsom is doing a horrible job, and he is, and he's not a good person, which he no, he is not. Uh, at the same time, it's just a little bit too much to overcome. And Larry Elder, you know, he's basically the front runner here, but he got in so late uh, you just wonder if uh, it, it, it's enough. But, hey, you know, stranger things have happened. And the way things are going for Democrats right now, uh, a, a Newsom loss wouldn't surprise me. But if I were to bet on this, I would think he survived. But still, uh, look at these priorities by our uh, vice president and president. Vice President Kamala Harris will be visiting, not going to the border, not answering questions about Afghanistan. <laughs> Why do that when you have to go there and save Gavin Newsom? Which, again, she is polling a 35 percent approval in USA Today. 35% overall. You think Newsom really, really wants her there? I'm thinking no. People see her and they're turned off. They're turned off by the cackle. We just talked to Shannon Bream about how you reach authenticity. She is inauthentic, as inauthentic a politician as we've probably seen since Hillary Clinton and Mitt Romney, except worse. Uh, there's nothing likable about her. And then you look at her record. What record? She's failed on the border. And she was the last person in the room recommending that Joe Biden go ahead with Afghanistan, one of the worst foreign policy decisions we have seen. She'll be there. Biden will be there. Again, we got a lot bigger problems in this country than, than saving Gavin Newsom's behind. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, the Guy Benson Show, back with more in just a moment. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Hi, everybody. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. It is happy hour on this Tuesday after Labor Day. And since it is happy hour, as I've mentioned, uh, I cover media for The Hill. And I was a reporter there for many years, and now I'm more on the opinion side, uh, in addition to, to being a Fox News contributor. But my previous life, I was a sports columnist and, and reporter there. And I read a whole bunch of books 
when it came to particularly what what some people see as the apex of sports on television, or at least the time where it became so much huger than it was maybe in the 70s or the 60s as far as the NFL just taking off and summer all on Madden uh, and making every game feel so huge on Sundays on CBS or Dick Emberg on, on NBC. Uh, Al Michaels obviously just getting a start in that decade as well and, and the miracle on ice and uh, do you believe in miracles? Yes, and that, and that great call. And obviously then Bird and Magic and Jordan in the NBA and the CBS uh, on the right to that as well and then eventually Fox which uh, wasn't in uh, the sports game uh, to that point uh, then got NFL rights and I believe it was I want to say if my memory serves me right 1994 uh, and now from there you, you see Fox covering uh, college football obviously the NFL uh, baseball you name it so it, it's just amazing uh, what sports has become in in our life and, and, and I get that there, there are some political aspects to sports now that, that may be turning some folks off, but ultimately it, it endures as the ultimate escapism uh, for us. And I, I want to bring in my next guest because he's written a book that uh, you know I, I've started to read, and it's it's just so it's tremendous. I mean, I got to say, as a guy who watched the NFL today uh, as as a kid uh, way back when, uh, and that of course is Rich Podolsky. Rich, uh, how are you? Thank you for for joining me, and and congratulations on the book. You are looking live. How the NFL today revolutionized sports broadcasting. How are you, sir? Thanks, Joe. I'm great. Um, uh, I just wanted to uh, say one thing. Besides watching the NFL today, I was a writer on the NFL today beginning in 1977. So I got to see firsthand uh, how the show really revolutionized sports broadcasting. I I think this is a great trivia question. It's the first NFL studio show to go live. So you're saying that all the NFL shows up until that point, right, were – pre-taped and therefore uh the you are looking live which which was famously said by brent musburger uh, that really meant something because otherwise i guess maybe you're looking at video of stadiums uh where the footage is a couple hours old and maybe the weather is different than it was when, when they, they finally got live but that that is amazing that that's the first nfl studio show to go live why, why didn't shows go live sooner they didn't have to uh back in 1975 there were only three channels so they kind of had you um you know, CBS uh, had most of the games. Uh, NBC had some of the games. You know, there was no cable TV. ESPN was six years away. There was no Internet. There was no Google. There was no 24-hour news on CNN. There was no way to, to even get highlights of other games. Uh, and uh, even NBC and CBS couldn't give you highlights of other games the same day. You had to wait until halftime of Monday Night Football to see some of the highlights of other games that Howard Cozell presented uh, through the help of NFL Films. But 1975, CBS really went uh, fully live for the first time. And uh, at that point, uh, as you pointed out, all the other uh, pregame shows were uh, taped days before Uh, All the announcers uh, were uh, middle-aged white men. And uh, in 1975, Bob Wessler took over at CBS Sports. He brought in Phyllis George, uh, former Miss America. Uh, He brought in Irv Cross uh, to be the first black analyst on a live sports show. And a year later, he had the, the nerve to bring on Jimmy the Greek to talk about point spreads in his own inimitable way. 
That's incredible, particularly the part about the Greek, because the NFL, obviously, we have legalized betting now through through DraftKings and, and FanDuel, and, and more and more states are adding it. But for a while, it was kind of taboo to talk about point spreads and gambling. It seemed, but 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 the Greek, for whatever reason, it, 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 he made it okay. You know what I mean? In other words, you couldn't even put point spreads up on a screen because the NFL didn't want to really be associated with, with that aspect. Even though obviously it's what helps fuel viewership to a certain extent. But uh, the, the Greek, I think, was the most interesting hire. Irv Cross obviously was you know long overdue. The, the fact that you have so many African Americans playing in the NFL and he you got to wait till 1975 until you actually get uh, somebody in studio. Uh, who's African-American, and then Phyllis George, a former Miss America, did she have any broadcasting experience before that? In other words, what's the backstory with each in terms of why they were chosen? Well, uh, I mean, in, in 1975, who would have ever thought of uh, putting on a woman, uh, let alone uh, on a live sports show, let alone uh, a former Miss America? Great point. You know, she came to New York uh, to get a career in broadcasting. She uh, did a little TV uh, for a show called Candid Camera. Uh, those of you who are all over 50 might remember Candid Camera and a guy named Alan Funt. Sure. But she was playing second banana to Alan Funt, and that really wasn't what she had in mind. Then she met a couple of uh, young, handsome producers from CBS Sports, Tommy O'Neill and Bob Stenner, and she started hanging out with them. And through them, she got to meet Bob Wessler, who in 1974 came in as the new president of CBS Sports. Wessler uh, eventually met her, uh, had a lunch meeting with her, and asked her after uh, a few of the small talk things, he said, what do you know about sports? It was a loaded question. And she just gave him that big Miss America smile and said, well, I've dated a few athletes, uh, and, of course, my favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. And that was all he needed to know that she was going to go over. Wow. And she, and- and she, she did go over. Uh, she, she did uh, some terrific interviews, the personality pieces. And the first one that really convinced him to put her on the NFL today, she did a piece with Dave Callens of the Boston Celtics. Callens was known to be very closed-mouthed, didn't like doing interviews, and didn't want to do an interview with her, and he was told he had to. It turned out that she got him to loosen up and talk about his uh, his personal life, and uh, Sports, Sports Illustrated called it the best interview ever done with Talents, who at that time was one of the great players in the NBA. Wow, and and, and what I remember uh, in terms of the, the interview that always sticks out at me is when she's talking to Roger Staubach, right, who is basically America's quarterback, and you know he comes out mm-hmm. of Navy, and then he's leading the Cowboys to all these Super Bowls. Uh, but he, he's talking about basically, or she's talking about comparing uh, the sex lives of Joe Namath and Roger Staubach, and Staubach famously says, uh, oh, I, I like to have sex just as much as Joe, but I just prefer to do it with the same woman. I mean, it was just something you never saw on an NFL pregame show before, and, and it's, it's amazing that, that Phyllis actually, what, she married the man who produced The Godfather? But then they broke up, uh, I guess, two months later, and then she married the next governor of Kentucky. Am I reading that right? That's that's correct. But, you know, the wow. thing about Phyllis that was that was uh, so great uh, for the NFL today was she got uh, these athletes. I mean, uh, uh, Staubach and Joe Namath and, and uh, other uh, football players, they really enjoyed talking to her and 
uh, sitting down in their own living rooms, and she got them to say things they wouldn't say to anybody else. Uh, and uh, she was really amazing that way. Uh, she she uh, married uh, Robert Evans, who was uh, head of Paramount Studios, and he produced The Godfather. She was his fourth of seven marriages. Uh, and uh, two months into the marriage, she realized, boy, this, this is not the guy for me. Uh, she went home to uh, Denton, Texas, uh, shortly after that. And uh, then uh, she she met for a second time John Y. Brown and uh, married him. And on their honeymoon, he lets her know that he's thinking of running for governor of Kentucky. And she was all for it. She was uh, a better uh, uh, going out with him and meeting the people than he was. That's an incredible story. And and, and she'd. she'd away just last year uh, way too young uh, at 70 years old and and that's the thing about this now now brent musburger uh was obviously the face of the nfl today being the lead anchor for lack of a better term uh but he was fired on april fool's day in 1990 what, what was behind that firing was it a contract dispute or brent was just well, hard let, to work well, with let's or? go back i mean we got to get brent his due my god he came to the show in 1975 he was almost a complete unknown uh he had done a little he, he was uh, the, the sports anchor at WBBM in Chicago, and uh, Bob Wessler ran that station. That's how he knew how great, great Brent was when he brought him in. Uh, but when he came on, he was just a natural. Uh, Jack Whitaker had the job the year before on the NFL today, and he couldn't handle uh, the, the uh, juggling of highlights from eight different games at halftime. Brent did it like there was nothing to it. He handed off to Phyllis. He handed off to her for analysis. Uh, he brought the Greek in for his picks. I mean, nothing was difficult for Brent. He, he was like a kid in a candy store. And uh, uh, he was the one who came up with the phrase, you are looking live, because uh, they discussed that the gamblers wanted to know what the weather was. And Brent said, right. I, could, I could say that at the beginning of every show. Now, he, he was running things for 15 years. He became so big at CBS. He was the host of uh, the Masters Golf, he was the host of the U.S. Open. Uh, he, he was going to be the host of baseball for CBS. They were about to get it. Uh, he was uh, the NBA Final guy Four, for too, CBS. right? He, yeah. was, he was the the main cog for every sport they had. And uh, the two guys who ran CBS Sports, Neil Pilsen and executive producer Ted Shaker, felt they had other guys they wanted to spread the wealth with. I mean, one of them was Jim Nance. Another was Greg Gumbel. Another was James Brown. They had great guys in the bullpen. And I compared it to a, a manager in the World Series. He had four great pitchers, but he only gave the ball to the same guy to pitch every day. Brent yeah. wouldn't give up any of his other jobs. So when his contract came to a close, instead of renegotiating, they said, see ya. Wow, and and you you can make an argument that that Brent is is top five all time in terms of not just being a, a studio uh, personality, but but the, the way he would call games uh, with such great enthusiasm, and and always would work in a gambling reference here and there, which was was always interesting as Al Michaels likes to do from time to time as well. Uh, we we only have about three minutes left, sir, so uh, I I do want to get to the book in terms of what do you think people will learn about the NFL today that they may not have known even if they watched all of those years. 
Uh, they, they probably would learn an awful lot about a, a young lady named Jane Kennedy who replaced Phyllis George for two years when Phyllis uh, quit uh, and wanted to take some time off. Uh, Jane Kennedy was an African-American, uh, and she came on uh, the show to ho- co-host along with Brent and Irv Cross. Uh, and it was uh, th- there's too much to talk about in three minutes. But but really what I wanted to get across was this show, the NFL Today, it was seminal in, in helping uh, the league uh, popularity-wise overtake baseball as America's top sport. Uh, the NFL couldn't have been any happier, and it really made a big change in how we all watch the game. And I'm sure it must have been bittersweet when, as you're writing this book, uh, Rich, to have Irv Cross and Phyllis George uh, pass away probably when you're in the midst uh, of writing it. Uh, were you able to speak to them in terms of the book before uh, they, they passed? Uh, they must have been excited to hear that, that obviously their contributions to broadcasting were being acknowledged. And also Michael Pearl, who was the key producer uh, for the show the first five years, passed away. Uh, sure. The day after Irv Cross, it was it was really a horrible couple of days for the ex-CBS people. I got to talk to Irv twice. Uh, he was uh, he was just terrific. Uh, I got to talk to Phyllis uh, the year before the pandemic at Saratoga. Uh, Michael Pearl must have talked to me and emailed with me all through uh, 2020 and the beginning of 2021. Um, they, they, these were wonderful people, and if it wasn't for them, I could have never completed You Are Looking Live. And that is the name of the book, You Are Looking Live. Our, our friend Jim Nance uh, writes the forward, and uh, I, I, it's just a great read uh, so far. And uh, certainly, Rich, we appreciate you coming on, and congratulations once again on the book. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, you have a good one. And we'll be back with more of the Guy Benson Show. Emily Campagno on the other side of the hour. Please do stick around. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. And welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, the Guy Benson Show. Boy, there is just too much to talk about here as far as what's going on during this. I said it to Shannon. I'll say it again. Shannon Bream, who we had on earlier. Uh, the Biden presidency was supposed to be boring. You know, it was supposed to be like, uh, what they say, uh, no drama Obama. And compared to Trump... Yeah, you'll have things to talk about, but not. And, and if you think about now exactly what we're looking at as far as what's going on in this country, and people are genuinely concerned. I, I was on vacation kind of on and off for the last two weeks, and when you talk to people and, you know, they in some cases they, they know who I am, even though I'm like, I don't even host a show. <laughs> I'm filling in here. But, you know, I guess I guessed enough on Fox where I, I do get stopped uh, from, from time to time, and people just all... It, it, like like it was almost you know 
practiced, like it was choreographed. They want to talk about Afghanistan. I mean, they really do. They really want to talk about crime and how, you know, I met one couple from New York, New York City, and they don't live in New York City anymore. They, they moved west about an hour west in Jersey where, you know, you can maybe get properties a little bit cheaper because the further you go away from a city, they, they tend to get a little bit lower in cost, even though uh, no picnic, certainly from a uh, cost perspective. And they're, they're just saying like, yeah, I, we just didn't feel safe in New York anymore. And, and New York isn't what it used to be in terms of its character, in terms of just the feel that you had under Giuliani and Bloomberg, where you, if you went out and it's, it's 11 o'clock at night and you're walking home from a restaurant, you felt, you didn't even think about it. You know, you felt safe. And now it's, it's anything, you know, but that. I mean, you look at the shootings alone in New York City over the weekend. And I am literally Googling this as I am talking to you now. And I mean, my goodness, there were more than 30 people shot in New York City just last weekend. I mean, we didn't have this before. Trust me. And it's, it's even worse in Chicago. 63 people were shot over the weekend. So, again, you have this border crisis where you have Democrats now, D- Democrats in Texas and Arizona who are going off on the president. Uh, l- listen to uh, Juan Hijosina. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing his name uh, incorrectly. He's a Texas state senator. He says, when a nation does not control its border, when a nation cannot define its border, it ceases to be a nation. And right now we do not control our border. And this Again, these are Democrats that are saying this. So add it all up. Border crisis, rising prices, closing businesses, Afghanistan, and crime. All those things going against the president and this administration right now, and they don't seem to have any answers. And more importantly, they don't really even seem to care. This is Joe Concha, in for Guy Benson, back with Emily Campagno on the other side of the break. Stick around. GuyBensonShow.com. Remember the Dosecchi's commercial? I believe it was Dosecchi's. The most interesting man in the world. One of the great advertising campaigns you will ever see. Well, I think I'm talking to one of the most interesting women in the world because I'm reading a, a story on Emily Campagno, uh, who is our next guest. Uh, and it's from uh, SF Gate and San Francisco Gate uh, back from 2009. And it's very interesting because uh, you, you get the background of what this, how this person has lived her life. I mean, my goodness, uh, law school internship in a South African township uh, last year, a volunteer with orphans in Uganda. And, uh, I, I mean, you could, she lives in uh, Almeida and would like to ultimately be a legal analyst or correspondent for a major TV news network. Wow, that was 2009. I think, Emily, the plan came to fruition. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. I'm hardly one of the most interesting people in the world, but I appreciate that kind introduction. I remember that article well. And yeah, that was a long time ago. It's sort of, um, I, it is neat for me to think back and think that I have achieved that goal, which was really a dream come true. So it's an honor to be here in that capacity with you today, Joe. It's interesting. I'm looking at a picture of you, Emily, and people know you as the uh, co-host of Outnumbered. Uh, for whatever reason, you're, you're blonde, but you dyed your roots black. So I'm not sure what that's about. What is the natural <laughs> color? The Guy Benson audience wants to know. Yeah, it's, it's, even though this is radio, not TV, every picture from this voice, someone with brunette hair. That's how I am right now. That's how I, I am naturally. But you know what? It's really fun to be every color. So, hey, I might surprise you guys tomorrow with a new hair color. You never know. 
<laughs> wow. And, and of course, uh, outnumbered every day, noon Eastern, uh, Fox News. Do you miss being a Raiderette? In other words, you were, you were captain, I believe, right? And you got to go to Hawaii to do a shoot every year. I mean, that sounded like quite the life. Is it just something eventually you're like, okay, this was fun, but now I, I want to go work in the law profession, or obviously you want to go into TV. Was it something like you scratched the itch, you got to be a, a, a cheerleader for a professional uh, sports team and, and one of the great iconic sports teams of all time in, in, in the Oakland Raiders? Is that something that you just outgrew, or what? What was the process in terms of getting to where you are now? Yeah, you know, there's a saying on the squad, at least for our squad, and it was that you you always retire either one year too soon or one year too late. And what that meant was that you always either do want to go back, you want one more year, you want many, or you you maybe stay with it so long that final year you're like oh my god my body can't do this anymore <laughs> like this is exhausting <laughs> I can't keep up you know I, I have to move on or or whatnot so if I had to pick one of those two it would definitely be that it was too early but at the same time I cheered for a perfect amount of time I was already a practicing attorney at that time I was lucky to have the support of a firm that they were huge sport fans. They represented big names in the sports industry at the time, including like Barry Bonds, personal trainer and the like. They had their holiday party uh, at the Oakland Coliseum at one of my games. So I enjoyed a really supportive atmosphere for all those years. Definitely the highlight was visiting the troops in Kuwait and Iraq. That to to this day remains, I think, one of the, the greatest honor of my life because that was really an incredible experience to see. How those, uh, I mean, frankly, I, I saw them as, as boys, some of them, right? They were so young. And to see, all, to be amongst all the deployed there, putting their lives on the line for us, especially as we reflect on that in this, this end of the 20 year wars as we approach the 20th year anniversary of 9 11, it really, um, it really brings home the experience that I had there for simply two weeks that, that people, who served our country had for months and multiple deployments on then and the like. But um, I think, you know, to, to answer your question more specifically, when I retired, it was at a perfect time. And I always, it was like, it's like leaving a, maybe a relationship or something that, or a job where, where it, it took up so much of my time that when I was done with it, all of a sudden I had like a life again. And so that I think was, was the thing that I was grateful for in that way, because I was, I was ready for that at that time. But I mean, you know, not a day goes by that I don't miss it. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm way, way too old and, and can definitely not keep up anymore. So I'm, I'm enjoying it as just a fan and that's exactly where I want to be right now. And we're talking to 31-year-old Emily Campagno. Uh, it's always just, you know, <laughs> minus it by a little. And eventually you believe it. Uh, so th- just follow my rule, Emily. Uh, were you were you nervous, though? Because I know how I would be. It, it, you're in Iraq. And, I mean, were you nervous at all for, for your safety? Did that ever kind of come over you? Or were you like, ah, this seems pretty secure? We had an amazing full-time, um, like, I I don't. I, looking back, I don't even actually know what their what their actual titles were in their capacity. Maybe they they provide security like for all high profile people who come. You know, I, I assume. Um, but basically, we had a team that did that all the time. That were always armed and whatever. There was one time uh, when the Black Hawk we were in had to deploy a heat seeking missile to um, like apparently like take care of the thing that was headed for us. But I also oh, wow. think that that. At the time, it was explained to us that, no, it happens all the time. It's okay. And I just had so much faith in, in these guys that we were with. Um, we spent a night in Sodder City after our Black Hawk was diverted for a medical evac. And we stayed up all night. The, the colonel there in charge um, 
had three daughters at home. And so he was like, I'm not going, you know, no one's going to sleep while you girls are here under my watch. And then we're going to take care of you. We're going to see you through the end. And we just stayed up all night with these guys playing cards and hanging out. Sadr City was one of the most dangerous places, um, or at times it was. So it was really incredible that we were even there. And after we left, we had you know such a great night with those guys, just boosting morale. And, and that's what we were there for, was to bring them a piece of home, a piece of, of American slice of pie for them, and to let them know that they were not forgotten, that they were thought about and prayed for every day from those of us at home. And a little bit after we left, um, those guys ran over an IED. The colonel in charge of us that night lost both of his legs, and oh, no. um, at least one of those boys lost his life. And, you know, he was younger than I was. I mean, I'm, I'm eternally 31, sure, but, but in reality, you know, he, he was younger than I was, and he, he gave his life for this country. And so at every moment, I think there's always an appreciation for that fact, of course, and honoring those who have served and, and paid the ultimate sacrifice. But it also provides that bittersweet edge because— that whole experience was amazing, but it also had the reality. Like, the reality was that it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe for anyone there because America was at war, even as we were there um, peacekeeping globally, right? Yeah, sure, exactly. And and on 9-11, that, that, that comes up on Saturday, and we, we have our 20th anniversary, and we're talking to Emily Campagno. She is the co-host of, of Outnumbered. Uh, so I, you won't be working that day, I, I would imagine, but uh, is, is the show going to be doing any, uh, like, live shots from, from there? I know some shows will be at the 9-11 Memorial, for instance, in New York. Uh, will Outnumbered be one of them, or are you guys staying in the studio? Uh, we will be in studio for Friday and Monday on Saturday, I will actually be at the Veterans Memorial Museum in Columbus, Ohio, because I've been part of a project called the 20-Year War, and it's a photo journal that was dedicated to veterans of the global war on terror. It's a beautiful coffee book uh, founded by – it was it's based from United Valor, and that group was founded by Special Forces veterans who served and an incredible fine art photographer. And those guys traveled the country – and took amazing portraits of veterans in all capacities from the 20-year war and told their stories. They told their stories of service, of deployment, and also what happened after. And so you get like never before heard stories or read stories of, of obviously um, the actual deployments and stories there, but also what it was like afterwards. So you have PTSD and, and physical um, uh, mobility um Therapy, physical therapy, thank you to all that stuff. Um, we have, you know, amputees and, and paralyzed guys and everything, but also uh, people who didn't sustain wounds that you can see, who started small businesses, who work with other veterans and the like. So this book is, is incredibly powerful, and I'm honored that two of my cousins are in it. Uh, they're profiled in it. So my cousins and I and some of our family will be in Ohio and we'll be at um, a really, I think, solemn but also celebratory event on the heels of 13 U.S. service members who just lost their life there in Afghanistan right as we were pulling out of that close in such a chaotic way. Um, and we will also be honoring the last 20 years and those who served and those veterans who are part of this incredible book, The 20-Year War. So that's where I'm going to be on Saturday um, in Ohio. And then, then, I'll, then I'll be back to work on Monday morning.
It's interesting to talk to you now, Emily, because I, I was watching uh, Outnumbered earlier, and you had a great panel today, and I'm, I'm a big Charlie Hurd fan, and then Tommy was with you, and then Kaylee, and Julie Banderas, who I think is one of the most underrated people at Fox News. She's got a sense of humor that is unapologetic. I'll put it that way. Uh, but you were, you know, we, we have a nickname, or Gutfels does, and now it's starting to go viral as far as we had evil Shannon Bream on before. You were irate Emily Campagno <laughs> there, just saying nothing but lies from the Biden administration. You did not hold back as far as the State Department falsely claiming credit for rescuing a family of four from Afghanistan. Why do you think that is uh, blatantly a lie? No, and first of all, I absolutely love Julie Banderas. I totally agree with you. She is she is the person I would want stranded on a desert island with me if it ever came to that. I'll just say with that right alcohol. now because it would be entertainment for life. <laughs> yes, that's true. Right. With alcohol, though. With tequila oh, and Julie, well, forget about it. Then then that's a party. No question. You think she's unfiltered exactly. sober. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, I'll, uh, please continue as far as uh, th- this uh, this evacuation. And it, wh- why do you think the State Department is trying to take credit for something they know that they could get debunked on pretty quickly? They're that desperate for good news out of there? Well, it seems, you know, as Congressman Ronnie Jackson perhaps put it best, that the, the, the thing that the Biden administration does best is patting itself on the back for what has gone horribly wrong. And I don't know the why behind it, Joe, but I know that that is true. And I know that as he went on to point out, his constituents were left behind. Our fellow Americans were left behind, left for evacuation by brave veterans to get these people out and then for them to take credit for them to lie in a way that they can be checked on. As you point out, we now have just breaking, I think also this afternoon, uh, emails now released that have the State Department specifically denying that charter flights can land not only at their air bases, but potentially some third party countries that they will not put the stamp of approval on it. And it specifically says, nor the U.S. I'm not quite sure where the phrase, my fellow Americans, escaped this administration. And one of the things you heard me talk about today that I find so, such a source of, of anger on my part is, is the radio silence that has been meeting people of every, of every facet that have implored this administration for help. So even co- sitting congressmen, like the one from Sacramento trying to get home 30 schoolchildren stranded in Afghanistan. He said, I'm paraphrasing the radio silence part. He said, we've not received word, but from the DOD and the State Department, this is a congressman. Those veterans who get these emails saying no, no, and no, or they say no update. The the American woman who was evacuated successfully, thank God, who received nothing but silence. I mean, how is that in any way acceptable? We pay the salary of these, quote, civil servants. We pay the salary we voted in these elected officials or people we voted in are who then selected these people to fill these posts. And I don't understand why the accountability has been absolutely severed now with deadly consequences. And I fear, Joe, for the future. I fear the worst might be ahead of us in Afghanistan. And I don't think that's even palatable. I know it's not to most Americans. Right. We, we, we also just this week had the 41st round of pretrial hearings for the Gitmo Five, right, for the 9-11 mastermind yep. and four of his accomplices there. And that's 15 years after they were transferred to Gitmo, 20 years after the 9-11 terror attack. I, I just feel like the, the wheels of justice, if they even exist in this regard, are turning so slowly in Americans need and deserve differently. 
And we're talking to Emily, Emily Campagno, uh, irate Emily uh, Campagno. We're, we're going to get her to smile again uh, because <laughs> we're going to pivot here in our final two minutes here. So, so that's your warning so we could get to our tease. Uh, breaking this afternoon, former President Donald Trump will hold a rally at the Iowa State Fairgrounds on October 9th. At last checked, Iowa is a pretty important state as far as primaries are concerned. Do you think that Donald Trump runs again in 2024? All the signs are pointing to that, Joe. And I think maybe if you'd asked me two years ago, I would say, like, I don't know. And, and it seems it seems like it gives some long answer. But now I think the answer is yes. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what else he, he would be announcing that isn't that, right? Um, so I think it's particularly exciting for a lot of people. And um, I think this is coming at the right time. And, you know, just like now weak President Biden, who has – said at the time, well, after the events of such and such, I, I, I had to come out and I had to, I had to make my, put my position known and, and put, throw my hat in the ring. Um, I think that's what happened with former President Trump. I think just like you and I were talking about, that, that every American is absolutely um, just abhors what's happening right now and sees the situation in its reprehensible light that it is. This is, I think, what is inspiring and spurring the former president to come forward and say, yes, absolutely, I'm back. And um, certainly anything other than this administration would be a welcome rest and, and, and welcome for at least I speak just for myself on that. But I, I have the feeling I'm not alone. Well, I could say from a media perspective, uh, the people most excited about Trump's return, probably uh, Don Lemon and uh, Chris Hayes and Rachel Maddow and uh, Chris <laughs> Cuomo, uh, because the, their ratings are completely in the toilet at this point. The only thing that could save them, obviously, is a Trump 2.0. So uh, that, that's that's the one uh, downside to all of this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it's hard to see him not running at this point. Uh, and then even if he doesn't, uh, Ron DeSantis very easily, uh, for instance, could, could, could win the nomination. And then if the, if the, if the opponent is Biden, or Kamala Harris, who's currently polling at 35% approval, uh, won't be too hard uh, to, to certainly take back the White House. But anyway, Emily, we've we got to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, actually, one more quick question, if you don't mind. This will be a 10-second answer. When you're a cheerleader, are you allowed to date the players, or is that just a myth that, that you're not allowed to? It depends on the franchise. So on Raiders, yes, we were allowed to. It was, it was accepted but not encouraged, quote. And then on other franchises, you're specifically and explicitly um, not allowed to do it. So it depends. Thank you for that. I, I've always wanted to know. And then we're <laughs> going to end on that happy note, so we appreciate it. But I will see you on Outnumbered, uh, I think, a week from now or so I'll be on. I look forward to it. And thanks again, Brunette, Emily Campagno. I'll look forward to it, Joe. Thank you for today. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. She's so cool. Well, we'll be back. We'll wrap this puppy up, The Guy Benson Show, in just a moment. The Guy Benson Show. More next. So, I'm on TV, but yet I don't watch a lot of TV, which is a bit odd. I know when I cover media, but I mainly watch the clips, you know, the cliff notes. <laughs> In that case, I'm not watching whole shows, I'm not watching uh, Don Lemon tonight, the full hour, so I can you know, write about something. But I'm looking at this story, and it's it's in the uh, UK's uh, the, the, the Sun, right? And it talks about the shocking amount of time Brits spend deciding on what TV shows and films to watch. British people spend more than 100 days of their lives deciding what TV shows and films to watch. The average week sees 24 minutes and 24 seconds spent deciding on the TV shows to watch. 25 minutes on selecting films. That's before they even actually watch that. No wonder why it seems like the, the Brits are, you know, a, a bit overweight. You know, they're just sitting around watching TV all day. And why can't you just make a decision? How hard is this? 
You know, a third admitted they often struggle to decide because there is too much of a choice. Well, that's true, right? It's the old blue jeans rule that there used to be Lee and Levi's and one cut. Now you got boot cut, you got thin jeans, you got regular style, you got whatever, and, and 18 different brands to choose from. And they've done studies now where a lot of people will go into a store, will stare at all the jeans for a while, and then just walk out without buying anything because they can't make a decision. It's incredible. I want to get to this story also before we wrap things up. Uh, at Rutgers, there, there is a student there that's being banned from attending a virtual class because he isn't vaccinated. I'll say that again. He cannot attend a virtual class. That means over the Zoom, over whatever they're using for this, because he's not vaccinated. But he's virtual. So how, how could Rutgers just imagine if you're this kid's parents and you're paying, what is Rutgers these days? Out of state, forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000. In state, it's still about twenty-eight, thirty, And then your kid isn't allowed to attend a virtual class, which you shouldn't be paying full price for anyway. And then because he's not vaccinated? What sick world are we living in at this point? Anyway, thanks to my guests. Uh, that was Kelly McEnany. It was Emily Campagno, Rich Podolsky, and Evil Shannon Bream. Thank you for tuning in. Guy, uh, hopefully back soon. And thank you again for joining the Guy Benson Show. Joe Concha saying bye-bye. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.